of Yahweh, the opportunity to share yet again your word, your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, Father, thank you, so that I can do this thing that you have me to do, to be about your business, and to be a conduit for your word, Father. So, <clears throat> I'm no, pardon me, there are many that see, and I've, I've shared this some time ago, but I'm going to share it again because it's, it's important. Um, you see at the top of this, if you look up um, and you go and you find the... You find the podcast and you see that up there, it's got my artwork and uh, that the Lord gave me to share on that. That's important. But you see that I took my name and everything off of there and I have four letters with a question mark, WWJD, question mark. Well, this is something that when I was, I think I was starting in junior high school, I was finishing up sixth grade, getting ready to go into junior high, back in those days. You had what was called junior high school. You don't have that now. Nowadays, kids just drop out anywhere they want to. Um, but back in, in the days when I was still going to school, um, and this was an outfit that started, um, oh, I can't even remember what the name of their their organization was that started it, but it became, it became a nationwide push and it became something that was, uh, it became a very merchandise-oriented, but WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it became a catchphrase, and then they started making keychains and little wristlet leather stamps with that, and leather bracelets with a snap that had a little metal plate on it with that stamped in there, and all just sorts of stuff. And it became very diluted, and it became very polluted and was overused. But this is a very important question. What would Jesus do? And this is, as a true believer and a faithful follower of his doctrinal teachings and following the word of Christ and the Holy Spirit, not those of man or mammon, but those of Christ Jesus, this is a question we must continually ask. And we need to be in continual self-examination. And that doesn't mean like the self-help gurus try to convince that, oh, you can do it all on your own, you can do it on your own. No, that's not what that means. Self-examination means to search yourself, search your heart, and make sure that you are following according to what Jesus taught us to do, what Jesus said, gave us example of and what the word of God tells us to do. That is what self-examination is about. Is that, are we doing the right thing? Am I walking the right walk? I do that every day. I have to do it every day because the devil knows that I have weaknesses. The devil knows that I am weak and he comes at that and he knows that I have certain mental anguish that he takes advantage of. And I've shared with you all before that, uh, military and other things, and, and there are others that I 
didn't share with and allowed the imaginations to run wild and rampant. And um, so consequently, I am walking in a circumstantial life, but a forgiven walk closer to God. He allows me to do this. He's given me this platform to share. And I'm sharing this word to you because this is important. We need to really do this. And this is a question that we need to ask ourselves every single day through the course of the day. What would Jesus do? Am I doing according to what Jesus? And it's not a, it's not a, a mercantile uh, catchphrase. It's not something for any, you can keep this in yourself. You don't have to, doesn't have to be a big prediction, but it's necessary. What would Jesus do in this circumstance? What would my Lord have me to do? And not like you self-help gurus believe that you can do it without Christ's center, without God, without faith in the Holy Spirit. You can do it yourself. You can do it. Yes, you can. No, you can't. You will destroy things. You can go through the Bible and you see, even when you go to the to the, what they, some theological uh, students and teachers would talk about in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. But if you go through there and you look at all those names that are listed, those individuals that were in there that, that exhibited a powerful faith started out not so good. I mean, Sarah, she got caught laughing at God. God knew she did. And then she tried to deny, excuse me, hello, what were you thinking? You're going to lie and tell God that you weren't laughing when he heard you laughing in the conversation that he was having with Abram? She thought Abram was way too old and she was way too old. There's no way she was going to have a child. So that's why that whole thing came about with Hagar. Because she didn't think it would happen. She didn't exhibit faith. And in her imagination, in her imagination, there's no way this could happen. So we need to be in self-examination. And I'm going to share something that happened today, as a matter of fact, and I'm not in, I'm up early enough and been taking notes and studying and reading. So um, this happened today. And I bring this up and I'm going to share it because the Holy Spirit says I can. And um, well, anyway, I was, uh, I was doing what I usually do at church and I had a person came to me and approached me and uh we chatted a minute and then they went into their their little speech thing and had pointed out that I need to not be so uh, touching. And I was very puzzled at first. And I'm sure he saw that in my face because I exhibited that. Um, but there were individuals that actually complained because I hugged too much. And I also share a holy kiss. And so he asked that I not do that. Well, at first, inside, I didn't exhibit it outside, but inside, because I think the Holy Spirit grabbed onto it. At first, because he knew what was going to happen. At first, I felt righteous indignation toward what was just presented to me. But then, 
Then it was self-righteous indignation. How dare they complain about this? This is in the Bible. And this, is, this was going on in the head. I wasn't exhibiting this out loud. But then the question came to mind. And actually, my Lord talked to me. What would I do? And immediately realized that now, see, I was raised in a church that was very touchy. I was raised in a family that was very touchy, huggy. They, we, we hugged one another. The men hugged men and the women hugged women and, and back and forth. And then we crossed over and all that stuff. And, and there was no, now there's so many boundaries with everything. Everything has got established boundaries. But in that relational conversation with my Lord and the Holy Spirit, I responded appropriately, exactly how my Lord would want me to. We have to be respectful of one another. And yes, times have completely changed. And there are individuals that still run fearfully and they respond fearfully because of things that happened years ago because of the the fear pandering and the fear mongering and, and all the lies and deceit that went on and caused, and as I've shared with you before, there are many churches that are so close. So that was all coming into play in my mind and my heart. And I just responded appropriately. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, my Lord. Because Jesus, with no one, no, Jesus never responded And just, he always responded with truth. Even when he was in front of the Sanhedrin, he spoke calmly, directly, deliberately. Remember, everything that the Lord does is deliberate and with purpose. But he didn't get upset. And I didn't get upset. I just said, okay. You have to be respectful and understand that there are individuals that are even within your own church body that are fearfully driven and they're it's things are different it's not so much that the church is trying to establish um these uh cultural and sociological boundaries and that we're leaning to this and not that and this see this came into play in my thoughts because this was something that was shared some while ago from our pastor and so what the devil likes to do is get in the mind games and he likes you to start thinking about, well, how can he say something like that and then allow something like this to happen? Well, that, see, this is exactly what the devil wants to do. He wants to get in the midst of things that he has no business in and get things stirred up and cause that derisive attitude, that separation, the anger, and then get you to think and believe that you're you're correct. Well, it's not. You have to be respectful of those that are within the body, and especially if they're younger, and they don't know some of these things, and they're not possibly even reading the Bible or saw that anywhere in the Bible, that they read and follow certain scriptures, and they haven't learned yet, and that's okay. It is okay. So what we do is we lead by example, 
We show the right way and do what Jesus would do. This is a question that we constantly have to ask, self-examine ourselves. What would Jesus do in this situation? Father, am I doing the right thing? Holy Spirit, guide me. Am I doing what you would do, Jesus? Is this how you want me to be? If we are going to walk the walk and not just talk the talk and be led by his example, which is why he came here, to lead us by example, to show us what it means to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. He led us by example. He didn't just come to be empathetic with our needs and things that were going on in this plane of existence. He came to be an example, to show us how we walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And this is why he spoke and taught us about the leaven of the Pharisees, is as he put it, because that is the hypocrisy. And there are many that practice that today. They tell you how we should act, but then they do not in turn act the same. It's only what they say, not what they do, period. And that works for them, but it doesn't work for the Lord. So that happened today. We need to constantly do self-examination and make sure that we are walking the way he would walk. We are walking in that way. And back in the time when Saul was hunting, not yet called Christians, the, the uh, moniker that was given to those that were studying and following Jesus's way and they were uh, hiding and praying and meeting and, and having these hidden churches. And this is what Saul was hunting for and burning and sometimes grabbing and would even have, sometimes the Romans that were with them would even put them to death, but it was more that they would bring them back to the religious leaders and have them put on trial and then thrown in prison. Essentially the witch trials is what those were because that's what they, they all the charges were trumped up charges. The religious leaders did not want them. And so what they called it is they were called, uh, it was called being in his way or in the way, speaking about the way Jesus walked. They were, they were following that. So this is why when we do this self-examination thing and we ask, what would Jesus do? Am I walking the way my Lord Christ Jesus walked or how he wants me to walk? And there are a number of scriptures that talk about these things. And, and I also want to speak about the imaginations that come up because this is exactly how the devil loves to play with us and get us to walk away from these things. Imaginations. And I was going to go another direction, but I'm going to I'm going to go here because the Holy Spirit's got me going this way. So there's all sorts of uh, things that we get caught up in imaginations when when we 
look and review all this pornography and all this stuff that goes, and oh my gosh, the electronic devices that are supposed to be for social contacts and networking, all this, my goodness gracious, it's crazy. I think I shared some time ago where I was actually looking up some things because I wanted to do, I wanted to get my son and his family um, a Disneyland package. And I had typed in the, the IP address, but I guess I had mistyped the, and I had either not capitalized the letter or capitalized the letter that shouldn't have been. Anyway, when I hit the enter button, all of a sudden this flood, and I'm telling you, a literal flood of all this stuff. And I kept hitting delete, 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 delete. And every time that I hit the delete button, a new page would come up and a new page would come up and a new page. And I couldn't get rid of this. So finally I had to shut down and completely reboot. Oh my gosh, it was terrible. But they were disguising this stuff in a Disney IP address so that you contact them and you can get these gift packages and stuff set up for families, which is what I was doing, but I mistyped a letter. So then it went off gallivant to this, and I'm like, oh my gosh. But in that, what I'm the reason I'm sharing that is because that's imaginings. Those are imaginings. It's all imagination. None of that is real. None of it is real. That's all fabrication things that are in your mind. The darkness that the evil one gets into your mind. I've shared this with you and I share it with you again and I'm gonna do it again and again and again as many times as it takes. What is the favorite place that, that Satan loves to attack? Because he knows it's the weakest point of attack and that's our mind. And it doesn't matter how powerful or how smart you think you are or how intellectual you think you are. He's going to go, but because that's the weakest link. Okay, we're going to, I'm going to throw some names out there for you. And just to, as an example, so you have Albert Einstein. Actually, Albert Einstein had some issues with uh, second guessing and um, self-degradation and the different things that he would do because he, he never thought that he was smart enough. And when he had equations and things he would write down, he would second guess them, meaning that he didn't think that it was correct. He would go too far in his thought process. And then you had Sir Isaac Newton. Actually, I was reading this, that Sir Isaac Newton actually lost a formulation because he was too busy second guessing himself, didn't think it was correct. And somebody had spied this out and took it and copied it down for their own and completed the completed the formulation and, and the product and, and made it and did it. And it was correct, but he was second guessing it. And then you have, uh, I believe his name was Jonathan Nash. Um, he was a professor and he was working on, on tenure and he started having some things that were working in his mind and his, um, he started that way and then the imaginations got really wild. And he started seeing things that were not there and not real. And uh, he believed things about himself that were not true or accurate. And he started having visual problems about with these imaginations. But through loved ones and close friends and companions, he got help and he got um, guidance and he completed and 
was given fellowship and and brought in as a as a leader at the university, which was a very strong desire he had, but thought that it was all lost at the same time, and he got he got very caught up in these imaginations. Well, brothers and sisters, imagination is a very powerful thing. And this is why Satan uses it all the time. And this is why God tells us to be cautious about it. And I'm going to share something with you in John 3. Oh, I was already right there. In John 3, 1 through 21 is a meeting that took place between Jesus and Nicodemus. And actually I said 1 through 21 because John 3, 16, what I'm finding and what I believe happens in the way I've heard some people teach us is that you have two separate things that are going on. But in reading this and putting this together this evening and the Lord had me studying this, this is all... John 3, 1 through 21 is Jesus's encounter with Nicodemus and Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus the truth. See, Nicodemus in his imagination, he couldn't, he couldn't figure out. And Nicodemus was a very high official as far as the Pharisees were concerned. He was one that they called the teacher of teachers because he, I guess you would call him, I'm not sure what you would call him now, um, he was, anyway, he was way up there in that ranking. And he was also a Jewish ruler of sorts. But he started imagining things because he had been hearing about Jesus and he had actually heard Jesus a number of times and done some things that they would normally do as a uh, practicer of uh, Phariseeism and, and the things that they did. And when he found out that Jesus had done certain things and it wasn't him at all, he questioned. He started to question things. And his question was about the mystery of God. So John 3, 1 through 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. See, Nicodemus, other than, he was different than the other Pharisees. His, his imagination was leading him to the fact that the great mystery of God and the absolute wonderful being of God was, was different than what they had learned. So he was coming to Jesus for answers. And he did it at night because he didn't want Jesus to be in trouble. And of course, I'm quite certain that he was trying to protect himself as well. But he met Jesus at nighttime and he had questions. Verse three, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, <clears throat> pardon me, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> pardon me. So rather than becoming, <coughs> pardon me, sorry about that. The devil's trying to work on me not finishing this up. That's okay. I'll just rebuke that spirit. 
So Jesus was answering his questions. Nicodemus could have come to him and Jesus could have responded with indignation. Nicodemus, I have no time for you. You're, you're a Pharisee. And I've spoken truth and all you Pharisees do is harass me. You bring me into questioning all the time. I'm not taking time for you. I'm not gonna. Did he do that? No. What did Jesus do? Jesus took him. He spoke with him and he was teaching him. And as I've shared with you, if you read John 3 and you just read through the scripture, you will see that John 3, 1 through 21, it's all communication between Jesus and Nicodemus. It doesn't separate. There's no separation. It's not leading off and then all of a sudden Jesus starting to teach somebody else. It's not. He's explaining to this teacher of teachers and explaining the tenets of God and reminding them of certain things that are, and he even goes back and reminds him about Moses when Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness. And he was talking about how even so must the son of man be lifted up. And then he went in and explained to him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he went into that and explained to him, and it's not a separation for him talking to anybody else. He is talking to Nicodemus. And then if you you finish that up and then you go down into verse 22. And after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. So Jesus had this nighttime conversation with Nicodemus because Nicodemus's imagination was running rampant. He was trying to figure out what was going on and what was happening with Jesus. And Jesus didn't turn him away. Jesus instead compassionately, kindly brought him in, sat with him, answered questions, taught him, and gave him truth gave him knowledge that comes from heaven and shared with him and answered Nicodemus's questions. So again, I could have I could have responded with self-righteous indignation and been all agitated and made it look like it was something someone else. Why? This is what we have to do within the body of Christ. We have to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Would Jesus have me to respond that way? No, the way Jesus would have me respond was kindness and compassion, and that today that there are people that are still fearfully driven. So what we do is we pray for them, over them, and we respond that way. Self-righteous indignation, the imaginations of go. And I have, a, I have a mentor that shared something. I think I've shared it with you before some time ago and some of you that may be new listeners. Um, oh, I hope I say it right. But it has to do with when people come against us with certain things like this. It says, um, 
do not curse it. Don't rehearse it. Don't nurse it. Just reverse it. So what that is indicating is don't get all agitated about that. So so this brother came and, and mentioned that. I could have got agitated. I could have got all defensive, but I could have taken it personally and got all offended and my knickers all twisted up and then I wouldn't have been able to sit down for the ride home or anything like that or even finish going. I couldn't have sat down and finished coffee. Couldn't have done that because I had this big knot and I would have been fidgeting. Well, I didn't curse it. And then I didn't, for a little while, I it was playing over my head, but the spirit kept coming to me and 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 healing, and we chased that those imaginations right out the door. And then there, then he came back and tried to get me to do this to rehearse it again. If he comes at me this way or comes at me that way, or that when I get ready to go to class, that that uh, oh, I'm going to let him have it this time, and uh, you know that you do, no. So how do you reverse it? You reverse it by accepting the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ Jesus, which is exactly what he showed us how to do. And we need to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. What would Jesus do? Jesus would respond in compassion and kindness. He would understand that they had issues with it. He would understand that it was not a personal thing. It was something that they were doing. They don't want a holy kiss. They don't want a hug. Hey, that's not on me. I smell good. I bathe. And I don't get all weird with the kiss. I just give them a quick kiss on the cheek, what they would call a peck. It isn't all weird thing. And I don't, that's, you know, you get, I'm not creepy. I'm an old guy, but I'm not a creepy old guy. So the way that Jesus would have me respond is the way he would, with kindness and compassion. And that's what he did with Nicodemus. He didn't respond to him as a Pharisee and I am Jesus and you're one of them. And, I, and this like when he was walking with the disciples and um, oh, that's in John 10, I believe. I can't remember now and I didn't, I don't have it marked or noted down. It's somewhere back. But when the disciples were walking and then the man came up and he was, he was calling to Jesus and was ex exclaiming that he was so, happy because he was able to do things that Jesus told us that we should do in his name. And then the disciples tried to keep him from joining them and coming and walking with them because he wasn't with us. And when Jesus said, why did you do that? And the response was, I believe it was uh, James' brother, John. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't with us. And Jesus said, wait a minute. If he's not against us, then he's very much for us. And he's doing what I said to do. He's not seeking payment for it. He is with us. So a gentle rebuke and reminded for that. So we have to remember The Jesus conversation with Nicodemus was to clarify him and for us. And we have to not forget. This is something that we need to keep in our memory banks. Not only WWJD, what would Jesus do and self-examine all the time, but also in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Very important, very important. Because not only does it talk about 
God's intent and purpose, but it also talks about Jesus. When, and I shared this with you before, when Jesus was going into Samaria, I must have needs to, he must have needs to go to Samaria. It was important. He had an intention, he had an appointment. He intended to go into Samaria, not around it, into Samaria and meet the woman at the well. He had a meeting, he had an appointment, it was already set and established. But in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, we find that the word, the word that comes from God is intentional, always intentional. It is always with intent, like the rain and the snow fall, there's a purpose, and that it's not gonna return to the Lord void and empty, that it will accomplish the purpose that he intended. And you have to remember too that we need to rebuke all that Satan brings to bear on us because it is an onslaught. Other principalities is not necessarily his demons because demons are real. Okay, don't, don't misunderstand. Okay, demons are real. The principalities are those that come and were kicked out of heaven with him. And Jesus tells us that I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. But I give to you authority to step on the heads of serpents and on scorpions and face the power of the enemy himself and come to no harm. Luke 10. Or 9. Oh, goodness gracious. Now, <laughs> Sam, questioning myself now. So Jesus gives us that power and authority, remind us that he did give us that and that we should not forget that. And that is in 1019. So these principalities, those are those, uh, those are the demons, <clears throat> but the things that are, that come, that he brings are not necessarily the demons, and they are real, but the tools and devices that they use, imaginations, the spirits, the isms that they use to draw us and focus away from God and to keep us from practicing the presence of God. And what do I mean by that? Well, an ism it's a distinct practice or philosophy that draws us away from the centered walk with the Lord. And that's just what an ism is. And you have some people that practice Phariseeism where they just, they're not a Pharisee, but they like the, what the Pharisees did and, and those people are full of hypocrisy. And Jesus reminds us, beware the leaven of the, of the Pharisees. He reminds us of that. But in ism is, uh, you have things like socialism, communism, capitalism. You have all these isms that people believe so strongly in that, in that philosophy that it takes them away from the focus of reality, brotherly love, kindness. I mean, they're at enmity, we're at enmity with one another because of isms. Goodness gracious. 
but it's a distinct practice or philosophy and it takes us away from a Christ-centered walk with the Lord. And any any ism, we can we can put that ism attach it to pretty much anything. Isolationism. You don't want to get out and be around people. And there are there are some people that have a distinct issue that has become mental. They're afraid to go out with anything. Agroph agrophobia, I believe is what the name of that term is. They're afraid to leave the confines of their apartment or their house and be caught out in public anywhere. They won't they won't go out. They have everything is delivered and they won't go and intermingle with people. And and the pastor was talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, that isolationism isolationism is a new destructive thing that happens with people that you you uh, decide that, that you're going to be that way. You don't go anywhere. You don't talk to anyone. You don't spend time with anyone, um, and you're not practicing the presence of God. Um, you become very you get to a point and then you will either commit suicide or you get very, very ill and you die. They're actually finding more and more instances of this. Now, adversely, this is what uh, PTS uh, with many veterans, and notice that I've dropped that D because it's not a, it's not a disease and it's not any kind of a, an issue in that direction. This is something that happens when you have, and you have to be around death and you hold death and you and you you have it in your arms. And this, these are people dying in around you and with you that you've been with for sometimes months or sometimes even years. And that becomes something that you become too acquainted with and occasionally have nightmares and dreams and things about that. And the devil likes to use that as a, as a, one of his tools and get you to be isolated and to stay isolated. And it drives many of them, and I've shared this with you before, that there are 22 men and women a day because of their issues with this, that they commit suicide because they don't feel like they have anyone. I am so glad that my Lord reached in and took my heart and brought me these two companions that I have even before I was walking with him, he knew, he knew. But now I walk with my Lord and thank you, Father God. And I just pray for these brothers and sisters, pray for all my brothers and sisters. So we need to ask continually, sorry for that little sidetrack there. Um, we need to pray continually and, and question ourselves, continue every day, continuously, continually, what would Jesus do? That's not, that's not some kind of a, it's not a rhetorical question because you don't know what Jesus would do. You don't know what Jesus, how he would have you to handle the situation. And I am certainly glad that the Holy Spirit was out there and around me and he was, he was kind of around us, swirling around us together and that I didn't respond, which was the direction the devil wanted me to go. And then after he left me, um, the devil came back and wanted me to rehearse it and nurse it and 
get to cursing it again and he wanted me to get stirred up and I, and I just rebuked him. I just started praising the Lord, worshiping God out there in the sunshine and beautiful day that it was and doing what I was doing for the church. It was really great because it's not what I want to do. I want to be in his walk. I want to be in that way. I want to be like him. Remember too that we are, uh, we are reminded in the scriptures of imaginings and they go on both directions. That Satan loves to have and play in our minds. He loves to do that. But David, now on the other hand, talks to Solomon and he gives him specific charges we can go into First Chronicles and he talks about the imaginations. I'm gonna go up here to First Chronicles and we go to First Chronicles. Twenty-eight, nine, and ten. This is a very important place because at this point in time, David is passing off the torch to his son, and uh, because remember that David had committed some not very good things, and the Lord said, "You, you know," He said, "I know you really wanted to build the temple, but you're not going to do it." because of these things that you did. He said, yes, you are a man after my own heart. And yes, you did keep coming to me and praying to me and you followed my tenants and all those. He said, however, you did some really nasty things over here and even caused one of your generals to be killed so that you could have his wife. God had this conversation with David and one of, David, one of God's prophets told David and God just told him that he wasn't gonna allow him to do it. So, In 1 Chronicles 28, 9 and 10. And thou, Solomon, my son, know the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Hmm. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build an house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And then that's when David gave him the architectural drawings because David drew them up. He weighed out the gold and everything that was going to be used for the uh, things in the temple. And everything was drawn out and drafted out because he was gonna have it built. But now he had to pass that off to his son. Now he could have been angry and he could have been responded with self-righteous indignation and all kinds of attitude, but he didn't do that. He knew and God, like a, like a heavenly father, brought that word to him. He knew what he did and he knew why God was doing what he was doing. So he didn't gripe and grumble and get angry about it. It was his father's will. We have to keep in mind that Satan loves to do these things, but you also have to keep in mind that not all imaginings 
keep this in your memory, that not all imaginings are of evil intent or dark intention. In First Chronicles 29 and 18. Let me jump over to that one. Where'd it go? O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, for our fathers keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. Well, what is imagination? It's a thought process. You can, your thought process, you can, you can, it can go in a lot of different directions. Um, imagine artists have good imaginations, poets, they can see things, they write things down, they do things. Um, you know, before I used to draw, I used to do things and, um, I used to think these things and I'd see it before I would draw it. And this is what is being shared here. That David is praying that the, the imaginations that keep forever in the imagination and the thoughts of the heart of the people and prepare their heart unto thee so that they would be drawn all the time. He was praying that to be done. Because remember, he was not going to be king. He was stepping down and Solomon was getting ready to be king. But we see that that didn't take place because things happened. Now we see also, and remember too, in the imaginations, where it had turned not such good direction. When they were getting ready to go into the land of Cain, the promised land, that God had promised them. And they sent 12 spies in to spy out the land and come back with a report. And you had <clears throat> two that came back that, that convinced everyone through their imagination and the way they saw it and the way they perceived it. And they convinced everyone else to follow their imaginations. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. And they would destroy us. We did not see our Lord God Almighty, who is the sovereign Lord, the creator of all things made, Abba Yahweh, which incidentally the name Yahweh was the first permissive name that God told Moses that we could call him. But the religious leaders took it upon themselves to say no. In their imagination, it was too holy and only they could say the name. Hmm. Interesting. So anyway, their imagination led them to believe that the Lord God, maker of all things made, the creator of everything, could not handle these giants that were in the promised land that was promised of God would be theirs. He wasn't going to do it. So their imagination led them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they convinced other, and it wasn't just the fact that they had an element of doubt it was beyond that you have to understand this it was way beyond the fact that they didn't think that but they decided and they convinced everyone else that God was not going to be able to do it that's the point 
to understand and be made. They convinced everyone to take their side, not just that they didn't believe it could be done. They convinced everyone else that that was it. Now we're going to go back to the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to go to uh, Deuteronomy 31, verse 20 and 21. For when I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers to dwell, floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat, then they will turn unto their other gods and serve and provoke me and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. And it shall come to pass when many evils and troubles are befallen them that this song shall testify against them as a witness for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed for I know their imagination which they go about even now before I have brought them into the land which I swear. So they were already working it up in their mind what they were going to do. In their imagination, they were going to do it their way, not God's way. Drawing focus away from God and not to where it should be. And this is what God wants us to understand. And this is what the devil loves to do. Get into our imagination and get in that attic and kick things around. So we're going to go to Genesis 6, 5 and 6. Speaks to that imagining again that I shared with you earlier. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it repented the lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart and it grieved him at his heart genesis 8 and 21 And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living, everything living as I have done. He knows what our imaginings are, and he knows that we do that. In Proverbs 18, ten through 24, speaks to the imagination. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and righteous runneth into it and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. 
The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and as in high wall in his own conceit. I've done it all. I have it all. I don't need anything or anybody. I am me, me, me. Continuing verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it is folly and shame unto him. So before you even know the complete question, you try to answer and jump on it. I've watched that in game shows, and they get, get that wank. And they got it wrong because they didn't know what was going to be asked. They just thought they did. <laughs> Sorry, that just came to mind. The spirit of the man will sustain his infirmity, but his wounded spirit, who can bear? The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Yeah. A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. He's got questions. Wait a minute, I know you. That's not at all truth. The lot causeth contentions to cease and, and parteth between the mighty. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. All about me, me, me. Death and life are in the power of his tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Whosoever findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. The poor uses entreaties, but the rich answereth roughly. I already got what I need. I have got nothing for you. Why don't you go get a job? Why don't you go this? Why don't you go there? Don't bother me. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We find great verbal illustration of imagination. I, I love this. This is with Mary and Elizabeth, and we can find that in, in Luke 1, 49 and 52. This is really great. I, I love this, love this, love this, love this. Luke 1, 49, 52, that when Mary comes to Elizabeth and they they first greet each other, and this happens from the very moment that, that Mary greets her sister. For he, uh, where'd we go? Sorry about that. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name. Uh, Mary is talking to Elizabeth and his mercy is often is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed great strength in his arm, and he hath scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. So this is a pretty powerful statement that she's actually making. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. So Mary is talking about all these that think that they're so much more than what they are, the truth is revealed 
and it's been taken from them, and they're not as powerful as they think they are. And then we go to Ephesians 5. 15 through 20. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what then will that the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we need to have in our heart. This is how we need to deal with things that are going on around and do not allow the enemy to instill his thought process into yours, which is exactly what he loves to do. We've been warned about this. We've been told about this. And brothers and sisters, always, always, always ask yourself, be in self-examination. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus have me do? How would Jesus want me to respond to this? Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in? Be blessed.